All right, it's good to see you guys this morning. We are going to continue our series this morning. We've been working through a series that we've entitled Cloud of Witnesses. And it's based out of a passage in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, Therefore, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the one who started it and who will finish it, who has gone before us. Um, and so there's a metaphor, the race. We're not literally running a foot race, obviously, but we're following Jesus on this incredible journey, this adventure of this windy uh, journey of following him as he leads us home. And uh, there's been those who have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses. It's, it's the, the saints of old, the ancients, others who, like us, in their life and their generation, trusted God and ultimately trusted him all the way unto Jesus. And so we've been looking at this cloud of witnesses because in the, the preceding chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, the author lists all these examples of these people. Um, we've been working through it. We're on number 13 now. So this week, we're going to look at the next person in the list, a gentleman named... Jephthah. And that story, the story of Jephthah uh, and his daughter, is found in the book of Judges, chapters, chapter 11. So that's where we're going to go this morning. The words will be on the screen, as always. Um, let me provide a little context, and I'm going to read to you an excerpt from the story, and then I'm going to pray for us because we're going to need help this morning. Judges, chapter 11, verse 1. This part's not on the screen. It starts out like this. This is the story of Jephthah. And his daughter. It says, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. From there, we're told that when Jephthah th grew up, because his mom um, was a different mom than that of his brothers, his family ended up kicking him out. His brothers wanted nothing to do with him. They're like, you're, you're a disgrace to the family. You're a bastard, so go away. And they kick him out of the family, and he leaves. He makes a new life for himself. Years go by. Eventually, um, his tribe, his family, and the people of Israel, God's people, find themselves once again in this situation where they've um, they stopped trusting God. They've relapsed into... Um, idolatry. They're not trusting the God who rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. They're not trusting the God who, who made promises to them and to their forefathers that he was going to take care of them and he would be like a husband to them and he would love them and if only they would trust him. And they struggled to do that. And so in this particular generation, once again, God's people Israel cry out to God Save us, rescue us. And then they remember Jephthah. Remember that guy? That dude was a, a brawler. We should go see if he'll come back and fight our enemy for us. This is the story. Uh, the enemy at that point in history being the Ammonites. Um, not, not a nice people. So his brothers wanted nothing to do with him until they needed him to fight. Now, in Judges chapter 11, verse 29, 
This is the part we're actually going to zoom in and read verbatim. It says this. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. So he agreed to come back and fight. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Arawer to the vicinity of Minith, as far as Abel-Kiramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels. She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried out, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, not that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go, to the, he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. <clears throat> Lord, help us. Holy Spirit. As we consider these words, this story, um, your word, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Give us revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Some of you are looking at me like, mm -mm, what you going to say, preacher? Sometimes you come across a, uh, a story, passage, often in the Old Testament, that can evoke some feelings, can prompt some questions, like, what the heck? Or like, God, why? Or, Lord, would you help me? Help us understand what this has to do with you and your story. How could God allow this? Now, for sure, it, it doesn't read as if God prescribed this. He didn't, obviously didn't command Jephthah to make this vow. But it would seem God does honor the vow. How is this an example of faith? If Jephthah is included in the cloud of witnesses, one of the ancients who also trusted God in his generation and then is highlighted in this list given to us is like, consider, consider Jephthah. And now he trusted God. How? How does this help us trust God in our lives, in our situations? 
in the scriptures, every story, every poem, every bit of history, it's all been recorded as a part of a bigger story. Some reveal subtle aspects of God's character. Some reveal various aspects of humanity. Actually, those things are always happening in tandem. Uh, some seem to just make one uh, a bit confused and make it super difficult to understand what God is really like. And then some seem to capture the very essence of God's character in high-res technicolor. What kind of story are we reading this morning? This is the story of a warrior king who was despised and rejected and cast out by his own people. This is the story of a king who came back when his people cried out. And despite their betrayal, their pride and self-righteous attitude, he came to save them, deliver them, and fight on their behalf. This is the story of a leader who made a promise. One that in the end would cost him everything. For he was prepared to sacrifice anything for the freedom of his people. This is the story of a father. A father who was brought down. A father who was brought down for his willingness to fight cost him even more than his own life. His promise and his courage cost him the life of his only child. This is a story of a courageous young woman. An only child and a virgin who had only ever known the love of her father. And when faced with the cost, she said, My father... Do to me just as you promised, or Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is the story of a father and daughter who suffered the pain of death together, fulfilling the vow that brought freedom to their people. I've been wrestling with this story, this awful profound story that God saw fit to include in his story all week long, a couple weeks. I read uh, the story with my wife Monday morning. She sat down. I, was, I had my Bible open. She had a few minutes before she had to go to work. She said, hey, let's, you want to read together? You want to do devotional together and I said yeah sure she said where are you at and I said Judges 11 and so I read this story and I, I kind of was watching her out of the corner of my eye and her, her face just went from like it's such a beautiful day let's read our bible together to like just one of anger and disgust She 
she kind of went off to our bedroom, and I could tell she was stewing a little bit. And she, she said, Simon, do we really have to do Jephthah, Jeph, Jephthah this Sunday? And I said, my love, have you prayed about it? And to her credit, because my wife really is just an amazing woman of God, she said, no, no, I haven't. And then she was quiet. Um, I did pray about it. I prayed about it all week long. prayed about it up until about 44 minutes ago. And the thing that I kept, I, you know, occasionally I get like a really strong sense. I don't, I don't hear God's voice audibly. I never have. Be amazing if that happened, but sometimes when I'm I'm meditating on Scripture, I begin to get a strong sense that the Holy Spirit is like speaking, and really wanting to respond to my prayers because I've asked all those questions. God, why? God, what the? Help! <laughs> and uh, this is what I I sensed our Father saying something like Simon. You will never fully understand what it cost me to save my people. Simon, you will never fully comprehend the depths of my love. And then I knew we, we, needed, we needed to wade into this story. I think it's actually meant to evoke some really intense emotion. God's love is not trite. It's not merely sentimental. It is, it is a bottomless well. It's powerful. It is strong. It's costly and it's wonderful. You will never be able to fully understand what it cost me to save my people or fully grasp the depths of my unfathomable love. This is our story. We are a people who once rejected our king. And we are a people now living in the wake of his battle won. We are a people who have been set free into a freedom that came at an unfathomable cost. We are a people who have also cried out. And the king's response wasn't to condemn us or deny us or tell us just to try harder. God's response was to come down and to fulfill his promise and sacrifice for us. This is the story of God the Father and the Son of God sacrificing everything for us. This is sacrificial love, and we are the beneficiaries of it. What a story. In Christ, you are loved. You are loved with an unfathomable love. A weighty love. Dare I say, a shocking love. And when we cry out to the king, the answer is always, always, you are loved. 
This is a story of God's love. His wonderful, shocking, heavy, freeing, costly, beautiful love. This is God's story, and this is ours. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud or arrogant. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Other translations say that Love is not easily offended. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When everything else fades and the sun goes down, God's love never, ever runs out. In Christ, you are loved. And when we cry out to the king, his response is always, you are loved. Love never fails. Your biggest problem in life May I take the liberty to tell you what your biggest problem in life is? May I be so bold? Your biggest problem in life is forgetting that you are loved. Why do we go running after things that don't deliver? Why do we go chasing things that inevitably run out? Why do we keep going back to the well that just keeps running dry over and over and over because we forget that God offers us a bottomless well of his love. The living water, his spirit, who he pours out his love that he offers us in Christ. When we cry out to the king, his answer is always, you are loved. And when we forget or when we get distracted, or when we choose to deny, or whatever it might be, we go running after other things that hurt us and break us and leave us wrapped up in ourselves. And God woos us back and he reminds us, you're loved. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You don't have to raise your fist. I am who you're looking for. I am the deeper well. You are loved. Come to me. I'll satisfy your hunger. You might have to think about it. Your biggest problem in life is forgetting that you are loved. Your greatest challenge in life is learning to receive God's love. It's the hardest thing you'll ever set about. I often pray for myself, 
virtually every day. It's almost become uh, my, my rhythm, my, my habit, my holy habit. Lord, help me to receive your love afresh today. And the older I get, the more I realize, the deeper the revelation is that I struggle to receive God's love. It's, it seems utterly counterintuitive. When I was younger, it seemed much more natural. I grew up, began to feel a bit more self-sufficient. Began to, to have a different outlook on the world and life. And I got this idea that love is something to be uh, bartered for. I give you some affection, you give me some affection. You be nice, I'll be nice. Tit for tat. And God comes along. He's like, you know, that's, that's not how my love works. I'm not waiting for you to check all of the boxes. I'm not waiting for you to somehow balance the books. When you were still opposed to me, still living as rabble and rebels, I came down. I demonstrated my love by dying for you. God the Father and the Son of God ascended that hill together and suffered the pain of death. Whenever I cry out to the king, the answer is always, you are loved. God, help us. Help us to have hearts that are receptive to your love. The greatest and most fulfilling mission in life is working to share God's love. This is the uh, other side of the coin, if you will. Receiving God's love. Man, if you can figure that out, dude, you're, you're doing well. <laughs> you're doing well. Then at some point you realize like, oh, this is a love that's meant to, um, to flow through. Some of us have a hoarder tendencies it's not not a great great way to be it's not makes for a very cluttered house God's love is designed uh, to flow out of us and when we practice sharing God's love with others his affection his peace his comfort his blessings Dave I love I love the the verse you quoted this morning it is so blessed to give even more so than to receive. Figure that out. And we share the way God is loving us with others. It only compounds its effects. We begin to experience it's like the more we give it away, the more we turn around. Like, how is this, how am I getting more of God's love? Shouldn't it be, shouldn't I be getting depleted by now? And the more I share it, the more I receive it, and the more I experience what Jesus described as um, like this meal that the world knows not of. It, this deeply satisfying life of receiving and sharing God's love. Going to work with our Father. It's the greatest um, fulfillment we'll ever experience in this life. But of course, it all begins by receiving God's love. And whenever we cry out to the king, his response is, you are loved. Are you? 
Have you been filled lately? If the answer is no, you're not going to get condemnation from me. God help us all. But if you say no, no, I haven't. No, I've heard of this love. But if I was to be dead honest, it's more of a theory than a reality. Something that I feel or experience in my life. Thank you for being honest. You're not alone. You're, you're not alone. And so there's an invitation. There's an invitation to cry out and say, good king, loving shepherd, father, I am hungry. I'm exhausted chasing after what promises something so-called love and yet just leaves me empty. I'm tired of coming back to this same well every year, year after year, after relationship after relationship. I'm tired. Lord, would you fill me with your love? And that's the invitation. Cry out. Um, I believe the word is repent. Such a helpful word. I know it's kind of scary, kind of heavy, um, but I'm determined to redeem it. It's like a super biblical word. And if we understand it, it's, it's, um, it's a gift. It's an invitation to call that thing that keeps letting me down what it is. It's not necessarily like evil. And to say, Lord Jesus, you promised to fill me. You said that you're the true bread who's come down from heaven. You're, you supply the living water. You satisfy my hunger, my thirst. I'm, I need you. And we turn to Jesus being following him. And he teaches us to experience life in his love. And he usually starts out like, like nothing we imagined. Because we have all these... Um, you know, it's, surely it's like this, it's like that. And we have these sort of religious kind of things and, and maybe even these sort of emotions. We have all these expectations attached to it. And I'm, I'm saying this just to kind of um, help us uh, because sometimes you can begin following Jesus and, and think it's supposed to look, feel, and sound a particular way. And then if it doesn't, that can be a little difficult. And that's okay. Um, believe me, if, if, if I can appeal to you, believe me when I say... That what Jesus has for you, his love, it's better than what you could dream up or imagine. It's, it's better. So, so um, trust him. Trust him. It's going to look so weird and be so, so wonderful and better. So receive his love. Um, so what do you think about that? Jephthah and his daughter. It's good that we, um, we don't skip the emotional stories. I think God wants us to... Now, I'm going to say something super controversial. I'm being serious. You ready for this? Someone should write this down. Pause the record button. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. I think our king wants us to feel his love. Like actually feel his love. I think sometimes 
we get all tied up in cerebral knots, thinking that somehow, like, God is this equation to be solved. And what I really need is just a thicker book of systematics. Well, help yourself. That, that could be super helpful, actually. We've got Grudem and some other really great resources on our bookshelf. But at some point, Jesus leads us on a journey from merely learning things about him to experiencing knowledge of him. And we even get to feel loved. For only ever experiencing God's love in the abstract, um, eventually we'll find ourselves feeling like, but surely there's more to it. Surely there's more than just like a theory or an, an idea to ascend to. As we walk with Jesus through the scriptures, what we find isn't just a theory of love. What we find is this radical, intense, uh, shocking, scandalous, beautiful, real love story unfolding. And this invitation over and over and over again, come, come, taste and see for yourself. Come, be a part of the story. Experience my love. So there's an invitation. Amen? That's it, guys. Can we stand together, please?